Welcome to another episode of Going Back, Back, Back. I'm Brian Gay, and with me is my co-host, Tom Young. Hey, Brian. Hope you're doing well tonight. Uh, another beautiful day. Sure is. We got, at least the sun came out today. It's yeah, been quite the miserable past couple yeah. days here on the East Coast. Actually a beautiful day. Yeah, we've had four, <laughs> four straight days of rain. It's nice to see that thing called the sun again. But we got some stories from you for you all tonight. Some basketball, you know, a trade happened earlier today. We'll touch on the Phillies and playoff baseball, what that looks like. Recap the NFL from week two. Crazy week, week three, three excuse me. And look ahead. And then also the sports history facts that we all like to learn about. And those facts will be from September 24th to September 30th. So, Brian, to start us off tonight, baseball is full of wacky stats, as you know. We've covered a few. So, in 1993, Frank Thomas hit 367 with 33 homers for a 1251 OPS on even number days. On odd number days, he hit 259 with eight home runs for a 796 OPS. Explain that one to me. I can't. Nobody can. And I also just want to know who, who figured that out. That is courtesy <laughs> of Baseball History Nut on Twitter. You can follow him at nut underscore history. <laughs> I like the name. Um, yeah, but it's a, uh, first of all, a, a fascinating stat. I have no, there's nothing to explain it. It's almost like JT's home and away split this year. Um, where he's considerably better on the road. Yeah, he's hitting like 300 on the road, 300 plus. Barely two, 200s at yeah, home. Barely 200 at home. Um, I think to me, though, I think more than anything, it just shows the way, I don't know if it's pattern recognition that people have or like, I don't understand how you even put that correlation together. That, oh, he sucks on odd number days. Well, it sucks is relative. I mean, his numbers, would those numbers would be just fine in the MLB these days. Right, yeah, hitting 259 on the year, that borderline all-star these days <laughs> yeah i don't know i just think shout out to nut under at nut underscore history because yep, um, that's a pretty interesting fact and shout out to you if, if he's got to figure that out i mean good for him because that's yeah, kind of cool he's a great follow on twitter especially for people that like the historical uh, aspect of baseball sir it's uh x these days oh yeah my bad x sorry so yeah follow <laughs> him on x formerly known x. as twitter yes yeah, so you can stupid. throw up your x's on there instead of your tweets I mean, this is I'm the, still just going to call it Twitter. Don't yeah, everyone me. does. This is the social media version of Prince changing his name to a symbol and becoming the artist formerly known as Prince. And now it's it's Twitter. And he gets mad that you call it Twitter. Whatever. I'm going to call the it Twitter. Stupid so. decision. I don't care. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, very cool. Um, so yeah, basketball. Huge Something trade we today. don't talk about too often. Not yet because it really, we this podcast started towards the end of Really fell off. I mean, we fell off there for a couple months. Life got crazy. Yeah, it was kind of so, like the late spring, like early summer, though. So, so we kind of missed the end of basketball. basketball. kind of wrapped up at that point. Missed the playoffs and all that stuff. And uh, to be entirely honest, I don't really pay a ton, ton of attention to the NBA. I like I know the stories that are going on, and I relatively know where teams are at. But like, I'm when it comes to basketball, I'm much more a college basketball fan. It's the one sport where I definitely lean college. Um, you and me both. Well, because Jabari Parker actually, kind of a bit of a sidebar here. Jabari Parker came out recently. There was a conversation about why did he sign with FC Barcelona overseas instead of um, staying in the NBA. And he kind of said this whole thing along the lines of like, the NBA is either 10 teams actually trying to win a title or 20 teams trying to tank and just taking shots at young guys, hoping you get the next big sellable asset, marketable product. And like, it just goes to show it's all business. Yeah. And it, like, it, there's a reason that there are guys like 
DeMarcus Cousins and uh, what was the other one he named? John Wall, who can't get jobs in the NBA right now. When, you know, back 10, 15 years ago, you see guys playing well into their 30s, especially these, you know, much more talented guys. The game's changed to where it's, I don't know. I don't like where the NBA's gone, but I, I digress it. We're not here to talk about me and my thoughts on uh, where the NBA is at. We're here to talk about the Damian Lillard trade. And no, he did not go to Miami where he, uh, His all the buzz is destination. But I think he ended up in a potentially more interesting situation. I don't think he could have went to a better team with Giannis and Chris Middleton plus Brooke Lopez already there. Uh, pick and, and recently won a yeah. title. A pick and roll that involves Giannis and Damian Lillard is pretty nasty. Good luck stopping it. So here's the full trade details in case anyone hasn't seen the news yet. So the Milwaukee Bucks, they acquire the star in the deal, Damian Lillard. The turns out to be a three-team trade between Milwaukee Bucks, Portland Trailblazers, and the Phoenix Suns. So the Blazers, they go on to receive Drew Holiday from the Bucks, DeAndre Ayton from the Suns, Tumari Kamara. Tumani Kamara, he's also from the, uh, the Suns. There you go. I did not know that one. I just clicked on it before we started this because I hadn't heard the name either. And then a 2029 first round pick from the Bucks goes to the Blazers plus two pick swaps, 2028 and 2030. And then the Suns, they go on to receive Yusuf Nurkic, Grayson Allen, Nasir Little, and Keon Johnson. I think overall this has actually worked out pretty well for everybody involved. Um, obviously, the Bucks get that star point guard who op- um, kind of reopens their title window. I feel like they were kind of falling out of title contention a bit and there's a chance that you know their core doesn't stick around long term i mean i think the biggest thing was they wanted to keep Giannis happy Giannis did not seem too happy this off off season no i wouldn't be there and they kind of took the heat lightly last year as an eight seed being bucks being the one seed like Giannis didn't play in a game when he probably should have they go on to lose that game and then ultimately lose a series so this definitely keeps Giannis, i would think happy keeps the title window much more wide open for the Bucks compared to where it was trending, like you said, Brian. Yeah. And then the Suns, they work out pretty well, too, getting Nurkic, some good role players, and Grayson Allen, Nasir Little, and Keon Johnson. I feel like giving up Aiton is kind of a big, you know, it's big to give him up, but you're getting back. Aiton wanted to be, like, the, the guy in Phoenix, and that just was never going to happen with Devin Booker there, and now they brought KD into the mix. And Aiton now they was got never Bradley Beal, too. Yeah, and Beal now on top of it all. So Aiton definitely became expendable. You get a guy like Nurkic who comes in and plays his role, plays it well. Solid defender, great on the boards. He'll get you buckets occasionally if you need him to. Grayson Allen is a pest, um, you know, kind of guy off the bench that you hate him when he's on the other team. You love him when he's on yours. But for me... I don't know enough about Nasir Little or Keon Johnson to say anything on those guys. Um, but what I can say is I do think that the Blazers came out very nicely in this situation. You get a really good young piece in DeAndre Ayton. Drew Holiday, I know, I believe I heard they are shopping him. but he's, Yeah, they're trying to flip him immediately. He's going to score them at least in another pick or two. Um, I would love to see the Philadelphia 76ers acquire Drew Holiday. Yeah, that would be awesome. Bring him back. Somehow get rid of Harden and bring in Drew Holiday. Dude, at this point, I would trade James Harden for a bag of deflated balls and Greg Oden. Like, I don't care at this point. I just want him gone because he's a drama around the team. Selfishly, never liked him. I've never liked him as a player or a personality. Um, but I just don't think he's not a good fit here. They're not going to win with him. And I think the ultimately team. the relationship between him and who used to be his former boy, Daryl Morey, is just totally fractured at this point. Yeah, it's crazy to think. Um, to do a full-on like tour over in China for like your brand and then just say like Daryl Morey is a liar, out that, of, that's pretty bold. Like, out it of wasn't, the blue, you weren't even asked about it. No, he wasn't. And then um, 
Christian friend of mine recently sent me a something earlier today that James Harden threw like a party recently, and on one of the signs like in the club said Daryl Morey is a liar. Like, Jesus, it's so freaking petty, dude. Like You're it's like childish. A, like it's a thirty. What? How old is he at this point? 32, 33? He's older than that. I would say thirty four, thirty five. I don't even know. Either way, like, you're just a spoiled brat, it comes off like. Yeah. And, and he, there's a reason why been. the city has really kind of disconnected from the Sixers here in Philadelphia because of the antics that James Harden deals with. And then we had the Ben Simmons saga. Like, it's just more drama and drama for Joel Embiid. And I think ultimately it's only a matter of time before Embiid says he wants out. Dude, I would take Ben Simmons back at this point almost over Funny James enough, Harden. he said he would like to come I back did, to Philadelphia. I did see that because honestly... If he was dealing with the with if he really was dealing with some serious mental health stuff, like I will, I personally would cut him some slack because I know how tough that can be. Um, little pitch: if you're struggling, please get help. Please call for help. Yeah, we're all human. Here. Yeah, you know, we all have our struggles. All fight our demons. This is, uh, you know, it's not worth struggling by yourself. Reach out for help. Um, and in that, yeah, like Ben Simmons was struggling with mental health issues, and he. Granted, like I think there at a certain point he was just being a diva. I think he's been humbled by his time in Brooklyn and realizing that that's not who he's going to be in this league. But he seems to want to strive to get better. I think he came back here humbled and said, "Hey, and and the the fans make a big difference in this area. You, you need them on your side." He came back and said, "Hey guys, I messed this up. I'm sorry. I want to do this. Give this another shot." Philly fans would probably welcome him back pretty pretty nicely. I'm not gonna lie. I think I don't know if the bridge has been fully burned. I think if he did come out like and say, you know, he apologized for what he went through and like that wasn't him because of what he was going through. I think you're probably right. The fans do come back open arms, go Trey Turner, like standing ovation. Tell you yeah. I think if he just goes back, come back to the city plays hard, which we feel like we didn't see from him, but whatever that's, that's neither here nor there right now. Um, the big question is drew holiday. There seems to be an interest in by the Sixers. I think if they can somehow work a deal, Harden seems to want to go back to LA. I don't know why we're trying to appease the guy. Just get him out of here. Yeah, send him Honestly, wherever he wants. If I was Daryl Morey, especially the way that he's like trashing you, I'd be trying to trade his ass to like Charlotte or something. Get him, send him to Purgatory. You can go play for the Kings. Yeah, send him back to like OKC. Not even like no OKC would be fun. I feel like these days because that that young young core they have there could be interesting. Send him to basketball Purgatory. He can go play for the Wizards or something. Like they're the like Magic. The, Indiana Pacers, like something that yeah. isn't going to be relevant for him. No, like don't, especially if I was Daryl Morey, like you look like, a, I'm not going to say it, but you, he comes out here and calls you out. I would just be, I personally would be petty back and send him off wherever he w- doesn't want to go. See, I feel like Morey can't come out and like say anything though. Like, no, you he, don't got to say it. You just got to do it. Yeah. Actions do speak louder than words and he can just be like, all right, I sent you to here, I don't know if he has a no trade cost in his current contract. I can't imagine he does, given it was like an opt-in for a one-year deal. So wherever you can get him to get him off this team, I feel like is a better situation for Joel Embiid and Tyrese Maxey moving forward. Yeah. So he stops being that type of cancer in the locker room. That yeah, I think a three seems te- like he's coming off as a three-team trade that somehow brings Holiday to Philly and gets Harden out of here would be baller because I don't think the Trailblazers are going to take him back. No, so. I, his preferred destination, like Dame had a preferred destination with the Heat. Harden's is the LA Clippers. Whatever, I guess he wants to go play with Paul George or Kawhi know, Leonard. Dude. He keeps trying to force himself. On Have teams at it, like just get as far away from Philadelphia as you can. I will personally drive that man 
to that destination. <laughs> I won't even drive him to the Philly airport. I'll drive him yeah, all the dude, way. Hop in. We're driving to LA. You're getting out of here. Uh, <laughs> that would be a fun oh, trip. God. Yeah. And you weren't kidding. He did. There was, he had a part through a party at a nightclub. And this is a story as of the last 24 hours with, um, shot girls walking around with signs that said lit up signs that say Daryl Morey is a liar. Daryl Morey just needs to get full on petty and send this man packing. See, I feel like the thing with, so Morey played his card right with the Ben Simmons thing and acquired James Harden. It was worth taking the shot. For sure. And I think the other rumor trade that was out there that I would have preferred to see, this isn't just me being hindsight is 2020 with how the Harden situation is playing out, was Tyrese Halliburton and Buddy Heald for Ben Simmons. That was like the rumored deal with the Kings. I am a Tyrese Halliburton fan. I think he's a great traditional point guard, but he can score the ball. And he plays good defense, averages like a couple steals a game too. So. Yeah, and I'll watch Buddy Heald jack up threes all day. Those two, That combination of those two I feel like would have been an ideal fit for Around Joel, Joel Embiid too. Oh, my God. Uh, I'm absolutely. So it's not revisionist history hoping that just seeing how everything has played out, but if we can just get rid of Harden and what, however that happens, let's just get it done. But Ben, so Daryl Morey held his, played his cards right by holding out and just holding out as long as possible for the Ben Simmons deal. I think the longer the Harden situation drags on, though, the worse it gets, and I don't think he'll be able to swing that type of deal. No, I think at this point you're definitely not getting a a, a sweet deal. I think that's why it hasn't happened. Because like, with Ben Simmons, he was still young enough, and you could still convince someone, oh, look at like the potential of what he could become. Like Remember what he was out of LSU, all that hype. Yeah, James Harden, you know what he is at this point. He doesn't have that same burst. To get what to he is a loser. <laughs> A loser. All yeah, he does I, is he goes I mean, wherever he wants to go and he loses. He's never done well in the playoffs to advance to the – he's never been to the NBA Finals, and he doesn't have that same step anymore. He doesn't have the same athletic ability to create those shots and get to the lane like he used to. He complains about all the foul calls, and they don't get called as much yeah. either because the refs and the game in the NBA has kind of changed where they're not calling that just – throw the ball up in the air, throw your hands up too, and hope you get called because someone's hands were near you. No, and he made a, off on that call. No, and he made a mint off of that. I th- They largely may have changed that rule because of him because he would average 15 or 16 free throws a game, and that's ridiculous. And you'd watch him. That's part of why I don't like the guy. Number one, he plays zero defense, and like I think of this from a teammate perspective. I always hated the guys. I like, couldn't stand playing with the guys or any in general, whether it was on my team or pickup ball, I don't want to play some defense. But also, when the going gets tough, he splits and runs. He wants out. Send me here. Send me there. Same thing with Durant. Like, no wonder. Okay, and okay, okay, so you didn't work out. The two of them in Westbrook, three guys who, when things get tough, have said, see ya. I'll, maybe not Russ as much. Yeah, I think Russ is the only one that he's he stuck the it out there for a while. Last one to leave OKC. Yeah. And he hasn't really forced anyone's hand on moving places as much either. No, he's just gotten that big contract, and because of that, he keeps getting dealt to like match up with salaries. Yeah, like the war. Um, OKC was up three to one against the Warriors, and they ended up losing that it. series. And next thing you know, KD goes and joins the Warriors. Yeah, that was the biggest numb nut move you could have made. I try to keep this friendly. Uh, yeah, family friendly. <laughs> family friendly show. Yeah, biggest numb nut move you could pull. Like what a pansy. What a that's a word I mean. What a pansy. That's a family appropriate word. Yeah, it's you lose and you join the other team. You, oh God. Oh well, whatever. Let's stop talking about losers. Let's talk about some winners. Winners. And at least winners in the sense of they walked it off and we're gonna see another red October. I can't wait. To me, 
I don't know about you, Brian. We do talk a lot of baseball on the show from time to time. It is just that part of the year in the sports calendar. But sure is through and through. I am a baseball guy. I yeah. can sit down and watch any baseball game any time of day. Doesn't matter. I will put the game on, especially MLB. Little League World Series is always great. I watch some college baseball from time to time, but MLB game. I watch the Phillies when they play seven o'clock, and I always used to watch on MLB Network like the ten o'clock game on the West Coast. All right, so yeah, you got me there because uh, I I do watch a lot of baseball these days, but it's ninety nine percent the Phillies. I if I don't have a dog in the fight, I don't know. I don't particularly care to sit and watch it. So like that's why I like fantasy football because it makes every other game more more relevant to me. Because you know I understand people like betting; it kind of puts more stake into the game. Yeah, it gives you a reason to want to watch it. Um, but, but so I do fantasy baseball. And yeah, it just helps me pay attention to like what everyone else is doing around the league. So I'm not just like hyper focused on the Phillies and whoever they're playing that night. Yeah, we're definitely both huge baseball guys. You're definitely, I think you are the bigger of the two. I think I got you with football. Yeah, definitely. I would, you got hockey. I would agree with and that. I think and basketball is about the just, same. Yeah, that's that's where we're at. But, um, but so the Phillies they pumped. clinched a playoff spot last night. So like you mentioned, there will be another red October. Yes, sir. Are one win or one Cubs Diamondbacks loss away from clinching the. Home field advantage, is that correct? Yes, I believe so. If not, they might have done I, I believe night. it clinches. I believe if it's either one more win, clinches the number, uh, the top wild card spot. Yeah, so they yeah. the playoff berth. And it, yes. I mean, at this point, it's just a matter of time. I believe because the, I read it was the Diamondbacks loss last night, I think is what either got them in. I know, it was the Cubs it. loss. I'm sorry. So okay. the Cubs yes. loss, they blew a 6 nothing lead to the Braves. Shout out Chicago Cubbies. We appreciate you. I mean, honestly, that was as brutal of a loss as it could be. There was two outs in the inning. I think there was guys on like second and third, a routine pop-up hit the right field. Say, yeah, Suzuki dropped like what you and I could catch in the outfield. Yeah. Both runs score. Braves take the lead and the Cubs ended up losing. So that is actually how the field oh, the number one. Wild card no. spot. I forgot uh, that. That slipped my mind for a second. My apologies. So there will be October baseball in Philadelphia next Tuesday, Wednesday, and hopefully not Thursday. Oh yeah. Cause that means they will be in a one, one winner take all. Game three, winner advancing to face the Braves in the NLDS. So they get both, they get both home games for the wild card series, and then the, is game three? Would that be on the road then, or nope. all three games in Philly? All three games are in Philly. Oh, that's baller. So yeah, good right, luck. we'll see Atlanta next week. <laughs> good luck to whoever is coming into Philadelphia and facing the fans of Philadelphia. Oh boy. Um, did you see this one earlier, Brian Spencer Strider? Dude, I was said? just gonna say that because this is so fitting because. I think part of it might stem from his experience last year in the playoffs. And part of it, I know, was a joke. Um, but if you didn't see what we're referencing, there's a guy, I believe he's on TikTok. I don't know his name. I can't I can't pitch him here. But he goes, he somehow has access to MLB players. And he's on the field at games, and he'll interview players and ask them, like, questions. So, simple stuff. Like, what's your favorite cereal, this and that? Yeah, it's supposed to be, like, funny, right? Yeah, so the big the big question was, what is your... MLB hot take or unpopular opinion. And Spencer Strider said, no fans. I Having want fans I, in the stands. Yes. He said, I want no fans. Like I want to be like 2020. Like, and he made comments though. Like we don't need fans. Um, you can stay outside the stadium. If, if anything, maybe stay in the upper bowl, blah, blah, blah. Does and he it, realize that the fans pay his salary? If more of the fans, years? this wouldn't be a thing. Like you would not be playing baseball professionally. If we weren't spending our money to watch you play, because we've all gotten hooked on these games. And, um, I you know part of me thinks he's probably kidding. He's saying it to get a rise out of people, but like he's getting exactly that because you sound like an idiot. And then if 
So unfortunately, he probably won't pitch in Philadelphia because game one and two in the NLDS, assuming the Phillies win in the wild card round, will be in Atlanta. Well, and after him getting blasted. Yeah, that, that Reese bat spike. Yes, bat spikes by Reese Hoskins. I don't think that ball's landed yet. Yeah. Um, I don't think he his I don't think his mental will be there, right? He's fortunate that. that he will not be pitching in Philadelphia this postseason. Yeah. So um very exciting. And so who who would their potential opponents be? It'd be Arizona, Milwaukee, or Chicago. So Milwaukee, they wrapped up the NL Central last night. Oh, as well. so they're okay, yeah. So they are so they cannot face Milwaukee yeah, yeah. until the That's NLCS. Okay. That makes sense. Um, their most common opponent, most likely opponent, would be either Arizona, Chicago, Miami, or Cincinnati. Those are like the four battling for the last two spots. Dude, the, the with one, Arizona being in the driver's seat for the matchup next week in Philadelphia. The one that concerns me the most, to be honest, of those teams, though, is Miami. They always seem to play the Phillies really tough. See, I'm not too concerned with the Marlins right now. They're down Sandy Alcantara. He's on oh, the injured okay, list. Yeah. And then their young stud pitcher, Yuri Perez, he's been he's on the injured list too. And I think Oh, then bring him on because they're not so that. They're but even have, even with that, the Phillies have a very good track record against Alcantara. They do. Um so Jesus Lazardo, I guess, would be their number one. Johnny Cueto, Braxton Garrett. It's amazing that Johnny Cueto is still, <laughs> still in really, the league. I don't know who else they have down there right now that's healthy, so it's gonna be tough for the Marlins to come into Philadelphia and win a series. That's fair. Um, Arizona has a major series this upcoming weekend. They have to play the Houston Astros, and both teams are fighting for a postseason berth. So it's not like either team can rest guys and potentially set their rotation for the playoffs. So with the Phillies, Rob Thompson today said that like Wheeler and Nola, they're not going to pitch again until next week. So Wheeler will start game one. Nola will start game two. And then if everything goes accordingly, there shouldn't be a game three. But depending if Ranger pitches at all in game one or two, he might not be starting game three, so that's up for debate. Who's but your game three? Who is your personal game three three starter in that situation? I'm going Christopher Sanchez. He's pitching too well for me to Honestly, not have yeah. him start. That's where I was going. Lorenzen has not been. He's been more, shifted to the bullpen. Yeah, which honestly, that's fine. He's looked pretty good out of the bullpen. Yeah, but, he had a he came in had a clean one two three inning uh, Sunday night. Nice. Um, but he's been really struggling since that no hitter. He's had like a nine ERA or so. Yeah, dude, it's not great. It's unfortunate. And he also he came out with a bang. You're yeah, he threw like eight scoreless against the Marlins. Gave up like and two hits, two hitter, and then, and then a no hitter. hitter. The yeah, seventeen innings of two hit ball. You come up and you set expectations sky high, and someone he's never been. He's not like a Zach Wheeler type pitcher. He's well, not, he was a relief pitcher for the first. Yeah, relief pitcher and significant like part of his career outfielder. So he played both ways. He was like the original Shohei Otani that wasn't as good speaking of which they're getting smacked right now it's five nothing i mean no surprise last third. year after they clinched against the astros they lost nine or well, yeah you saw that post game so. celebration a few of those guys were three sheets to the wind within uh yeah, 15 within minutes hour. <laughs> i don't know how many bottles they cracked and then they brought in like a full cart of just miller lights coors lights i saw some Adelos on there some state sides uh, surf sides God. They had a little bit of everything going in that clubhouse last night they're smoking a, cigars got a headache just thinking about it but <laughs> yeah playoff baseball is gonna be a lot of fun and we will bring you a lot of that action maybe we'll, we'll do a maybe do a playoff preview episode um as we're getting into that i know we are very excited for red october it's only the 14th 14th time in 140 years that the phillies have been in the playoffs maybe it's the 15th this time yeah it's something crazy for some for an organization that had, has been around as long as it has been it honestly has not had a lot of success granted though you got to take into account this is part of the just ever-changing landscape of the game of baseball is the playoffs used to just be like two teams and yeah, then the it was four two. teams and like so for 
you know, and you go, you say 140 years of existence, that's 1883. Yep, so, right. like, for so much of that time, you had to be one of the two best teams in baseball to make the playoffs. So it's not that crazy, but at the same time, it is nuts when you put it into perspective. At once a decade, technically, they made it, and they've done it twice this decade already. It's only 2023, so looking very much looking forward to Red October. Seeing playoff baseball is always super exciting. Um, I know you'll be down there for at least one game each series, when, uh, so that'll be a very cool experience. Yeah, I'll be down there Wednesday. Um, I was nice. fortunate enough to be at a game last year. I've, I've talked about this on the pod before, but it was game one of the World Series in Houston. Did not make it to any home games in Philly last year, but my wife and I, we just happened to be in Texas at the time in Austin. Pulled the trigger Friday morning of the game, went and saw, honestly, one of the best games I've ever seen in yeah, person. Yeah, you got a or, great game for that. Or game just watching on tv for that matter they go down five nothing after three innings and i'm thinking to myself because i did all the driving dang i got a three-hour drive home this is gonna suck (laughs) what did we do this score they scored two runs then their next at bat three more the following inning to make it five five jt hits that lead off home run in the 10th inning to take the one run lead castellanos had that crazy catch in the bottom of the ninth bases loaded to send the game to extras and then they just shut it down in the 10th and had a 6-5 win in 10 innings. It was crazy. And the amount of Philadelphia fans that were down there were, it was awesome. It wasn't a home game per se. Like you can kind of see like Eagles fans taking over stadiums. Oh, yeah. But there was a good amount of Phillies fans down there. And it was just a great atmosphere. Well, speaking of fans taking over games, we saw that in Tampa with the, the Eagles. The Bills fans majorly took over Washington, D.C. And actually, this leads us into a perfect time to Hear a quick word from our sponsor. When we get back, got some fun history stories for you, and we're going to talk some football. It was a crazy week in the NFL. Awesome. All right, stick around, and we will be right back. This episode of Going Back, Back, Back is brought to you by Rucci Heating and Cooling, LLC, located in Glen Mills, Pennsylvania. For all of your heating, air conditioning, and plumbing needs, call the professionals today at 484-849-1015. Rucci Heating and Cooling LLC, the one-stop call for your business and or home. Call them again at 484-849-1015. Okay, and we are back. All right, so shout out to our sponsors, Rucci Heating and Air Conditioning. They bought us our round of beers again for tonight. Tonight, we are drinking the Levante Brewing Company, Cloudy and Cumbersome. We mentioned last week when we were drinking Levante, I think it was the Wayward Waves, that cloudy and cumbersome is their flagship beer, and you can tell why. It's one of their. It's a you would call this a hazy, Brian. Yeah, kind of. I mean, cloud. Yeah, cloudy fits the. Uh, it fits. It's not super hazy, not super heavy at all. Yeah, it's not a New England style IPA. It is. I'm trying to find that ABV on this. I can't about, see. It. I think it's in the six seven. Huh? I would say like six seven, uh, five nine. There five, it is. So, yeah, just under six. So it's basically a. Rounding up to a six. And I mentioned this before. I was not the biggest fan of Levante, but past couple of weeks, like in the <laughs> past month or two, it's just something's changed. Maybe my palate's changed and I'm enjoying their stuff well, now. It's a, this is a good one. I think it's finding the right ones again, like we talked about last week. This one is, it's their flagship beer for a reason. Super drinkable. I think it's approachable whether you're an IPA fan or not, because it's really not super hoppy. It's yeah, it's on the lighter sweetness. side. And yes, it's easier to throw back. They do have it down at Citizens Bank Park now. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, it's not one I, it's one I get occasionally when I see it on tap. Um, cause you just know, you know, you're getting a good solid beer. So yeah, you can never go wrong. Definitely. Uh, not a bad choice. Again, Levante brewing Westchester PA. 
if you're in Southeast PA, great beer scene in general around here. It's definitely a fun one to add to your list. Um, worth checking out. So, and real quick before we do jump into our stories for the night, now if what? You do mention just... going back pod to Ruchi Heating Air Conditioning, you will receive ten percent off. So give them a call. Mention the going back pod, ten percent yes. off your total purchase. Those of you in the Southeast PA area, anywhere near Glen Mills, back to you, Brian. Cooling, perfect. All right, so we're here to talk sports history. Well, we're here to talk sports in general, but we definitely got to touch on the fun history of it. We're getting, as we talked about it, uh, I think before the podcast, we're getting towards the end of baseball season. We have a ton of baseball facts, obviously, but when you have a, a professional league that's over a hundred years old and has changed so much over that time, it's hard to not have some great facts from it. So. Uh, it'll be interesting to get into some non-baseball facts as we get coming up here with football, basketball, hockey, the, the assortment. Yeah, we got the Ryder Cup this week, too. So As well, yes, golf facts. You know, with Tom here, you're going to get some good golf, which I'm totally here for. Underappreciated. Um, so I'm starting. We're going to throw it way back to 1951, September 28th. Norm Van Brocklin of the Los Angeles Rams passed for the NFL, the NFL record 554 yards, which still stands to this day. Which you would think has to be broken by now with well, like all of the passing that occurs in today's game compared to back then, which yeah, makes the think. record even more, you know, well, especially your mind a little more since it was a such a run-heavy like, game then. A game like you saw this week, 70-point uh, shellacking. Yeah, we'll talk um, about that soon. Yeah, you would think there would have been more passing in that, but as you'll find out, there was not. Um, so on September 28th, Norm Van Brocklin actually received the start that day. He was not the starter when veteran Bob Waterfield, who was actually also a Hall of Famer, uh, Norm Van Brocklin, Hall of Famer. Uh, Bob Waterfield was injured. The two quarterbacks were actually entrenched in a fierce battle for the starting role. Norm Van Brocklin, known as the Dutchman, made the most of this opportunity, uh, completing 27 of 41 passes and tossed five touchdowns, four of which went to fellow Hall of Famer Elroy Crazy Legs Hirsch en route to an easy 54-14 win over the New York Yanks. So some quick math there. That's 20 and a half yards per completion to add up to the... <laughs> 554. Well, you think you're 554, you figured you throw the ball 40 times, but... 40 completions, not. not even just 41 pass attempts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, throw the ball 40 times, that's exactly what he did. I'm an idiot. I meant 40 completions. Yeah, yeah. Hey, all good. That's you why think there would be a, a lot more completions than um, than 27, that's for sure. That's why there's two of us on here. We, I just find it fascinating, We though, keep each other in check. This man was the backup, and, uh, I mean, the fact they were both Hall of Famers, this also shows, I think, kind of the, the Hall of Fame... And its standards have changed over the years. But also so many guys from back then, it feels like, got the nod then that nowadays probably wouldn't make it. But then, you know, it's kind of turned back around. Again, the Scott Rowland, Fred McGriff conversation. So, uh, but very cool. I didn't know he was the backup going into that game. Um, But I think my favorite part of this story is Elroy Crazy Legs Hirsch. Great name. What a nickname, Crazy Legs. Yeah, that's fantastic. Elroy, great first name. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I'll consider it when the time comes. Little, Not uh, in the running for my first child's name, but no, it, maybe well, the it, second. It wasn't, but now I might have to think about it. Uh, I'll have to let Abby know. Because we can go El- Elroy and then his little brother, Leroy. Hey, perfect. <laughs> he won't get made fun of or anything. No, listen, his last name is going to be gay. So, I mean, maybe times have changed, but that enough is going to be. So, we're just going to pile it on. Yeah, boys will be boys, right? Toughen you up. That won't that won't sit well in, <laughs> in eighth grade. Hey, Elroy. Elroy gay. All right, well, let's go back to September 24th and change the subject before we get too off track here. September 24th, 1989. For only the second time in Ryder Cup history, there was a tie. The U.S. and Europe tied at 14 points apiece. So when there is a tie during the Ryder Cup, the team who won the last cup retains it. So this is something I don't agree with. No, that's lame. Europe had won the previous Ryder Cup, so they retained it. So in my opinion, 
this is just something I thought of real quick. Uh, some sort of playoff format should be created for an event like this. So my thought was you pick three golfers from each team. They all play one hole, and the best score between the three teams wins that event. So I don't know if you have any other thoughts for a tiebreaker of some sort, Brian, but that's just where... Screw it. I'd say do it like uh, Baker's... What is it? Baker's style in bowling? Every guy plays one hole? Okay, or whatever. there you go. And, uh, so, yeah, something. You got the whole team. Let every every guy... Honestly, yeah, here's what you do. You, you look at your, your scores for the week or the tournament. The two best scores on each team play one hole, and then the list goes down... So like your lowest, your your worst guys for the weekend play each other, and up. So I feel like you kind of granted it doesn't really make a big difference, but you can also there's a lot you could do with it actually because you maybe maybe the previous champion if you want to leave that in it gets to pick who which of their guys hits plays what hole. Yeah, something, something. needs to be done. Just can't end in a tie. Sign where, me up. I think I got an idea. Where We're onto something. Then goes back to the team who won it before. They win by default. So let's just hope this is not a precursor to this week as the Ryder Cup is clicking off Friday morning over in Italy. Well, I'm going to fly over there and see if we can change that uh, that real quick. Call, we can just tweet at them instead. I call think up might... Mr. PGA. Well, it's not even the PGA for this technically, is it? No, nah, I think it's... Hmm. I forget who runs... Oh, the, probably like the British Golf Association or something. I don't actually know. That's not So I think thing. in the... So it's jointly administered... By the PGA of America and Ryder Cup Europe. Okay, cool. So um, we can just tweet at both of them and then see what they say. Hey, guys, we got a good idea. You guys want to change the format real quick? Yeah, right before the event starts. Please and thank you. <laughs> All right, so we're going to go uh, 360 days before that, September 29th, 1988. The U.S. men's basketball team beats Australia 78-49 to to take the bronze medal at the Seoul Olympics. Last time the U.S. was represented by a team that did not feature any NBA players. Any big names on that team? Yeah, so to say it wasn't represented by any NBA players is kind of a misnomer because um, just to name a few, some of the name recognizable names on this team, Mitch Richmond, Danny Manning, Dan Marley, Hersey Hawkins, Stacey Ogman. But I think the big one is the guys, the big man starting in the middle. Uh, the Admiral, David Robinson, was the uh, in the middle there. So that's when he was still at uh, Navy, right? Correct, yeah, at Navy. They were coached by John Thompson, the Georgetown Hoyas head coach, um, legendary basketball coach out of Georgetown. Um, Dan Marley was the leading scorer. Um, if you're not familiar with who Dan Marley is, I only learned recently how to pronounce the name. is Dan Majorly, M-A-J-E-R-L-E. Um, he was a leading scorer at 14 points, but it is pronounced Dan Marley, also known as Thunder Dan. Um, great, another great nickname. <laughs> um, David Robinson, of course, led the team in rebounds at just under seven per game, which actually seems way lower than I would have anticipated. Um, Mitch Richmond led the team in assists. So, yeah, there's definitely some talent on that team. Um, I think to some extent it would be cool if they kind of went back to that, like no professionals or like at least no NBA players, but that would kind of give other countries a major, major advantage if they could play their pros. Uh, but either way, um, they actually said the only reason they ended up in the third place game was they were beat out by the Soviets, uh, 82-76. In this run, though, they were the U.S. was relatively dominant throughout, um, including a 97-53 win over the Spaniards, who are now a basketball powerhouse. Um, they beat Brazil by actually only 15, which is less than I would have expected. Ch- beat China by 51, and then the big one though is they, whoop, um, they somehow ended up against Egypt, and they won that game 102 to 35. Wow. So. Um, that's like a high school game. Yeah, so they actually, the U.S. had the second best record in the tournament. They just ended up against the Soviets. 
um, who beat Yugoslavia in the finals. Interesting. You never know what you're going to get out of the Olympics. That's why it's so great. That's right? why I love it. I think it's uh, it's awesome. I hope it continues on forever, or at least as long as the world continues on. I mean, I don't see it stopping anytime soon. <laughs> it's been going on for, what, over 100 years now, right? Yeah, a long time. Um, then obviously the history extends back a lot further, but I just thought it was really cool that it was the last time that the um, U.S. was not represented by NBA players. Well, I think that was the turning point. Like, we're not guys around the NBA, again. <laughs> yeah, we're not going to let this happen. Like, we're going to go out and show you why we are the best. Well, yeah, ball. because then four years later um, is a team known as the Dream Team. Yeah, led by a what? cast of Michael Jordan and Magic Johnson and Larry Bird. David Robinson was back for that. I believe Mitch Richmond was actually on that team as well. I don't think. Mitch was, because um, it was Scotty reason. Pippen was there, Clyde Drexler, Christian Leitner. Uh, yeah, Chris Mullen was on that team. Um, no Isaiah Thomas, John Stockton, Carl Malone, Charles Barkley. It was eleven Hall of Famers and Christian Leitner. Let's see. Oh yeah, he would. No, Richmond was on the '96 team. He was not on. So he was on '88 and '96, but not '92. Yeah, I guess he wasn't good enough. I mean. Guess it's tough to argue with the players that are in front of you. Yeah, not too bad. All right, Tom, what's your next fact you got for us? All right, we got September 26, 1954. An oddity here. Yankee legends Yogi Berra and Mickey Mantle played two positions they normally don't. Yogi, known as a catcher, played thir- played the game at third base, and Mickey, known for being an outfielder, played the game at shortstop. This did happen to be the last game of the regular season against the Philadelphia A's, and the Yankees did lose 8-6. to six. So perhaps it was just one of those games where the manager said, let them pick where they want to play. I'm a sucker for seeing guys play out of position. Um, it's always fun. You know, examples of that for me, like Ndamukong Sue kicking an extra point for the Lions. Bryce um, Harper at first base now. Uh, you know what? I think that... Even may, though he's playing it well. Honestly, that might... I could see that being his long-time posi- long-term position at this point. It makes the most sense for a fit for the team long-term. Yeah, and I mean, if they keep Reese around, I think you can platoon them at some combo of first base DH, and that's fine. But Reese is not that good. I think Bryce might be a better defensive first baseman than Reese. And he's clearly a better hitter. No offense, <laughs> Reese. I yeah, mean, you know, he's just a two-time MVP. Um, but for the Phillies, I think in the future, unless they make some trades this offseason, like trading away like Marsh or Pache, their best defensive alignment in the outfield is Marsh in left, Rojas in center, Castellanos in right, Schwarber DH, Harper at first. Yeah, So I it agree. leaves Hoskins without a position unless you're going to sit like Marsh to put Harper in the outfield and Reese at first. It just, I mean, offensively it makes sense, but defensively not so much, but... Um, you well, know that can be a topic for the offseason. Well, one of we my know what happens with Reese. Yeah, we'll do another Phillies uh, recap come spring or. Granted, like, there is some rumors out there that Reese could be ready for the World Series if the Phillies do make it that far. It's like a DH. Leave his ass on the bench. He hasn't played all year. Don't bring him back to hit in the World Series. Like he hasn't hit true live pitching. He isn't up to speed. So Kyle Schwarber did something similar back when the Cubs won the World Series, I believe, where he came back like just in time for the World Series and was a big contributor. But yeah. still, it's like the I precedent. Yes, there is a precedent, but I feel like it's very unlikely that it can be duplicated for what Kyle did. Yeah, and I don't think you need to me- – there's no need to mess with what the Phillies have going on right now. Not that – Reese has been there the whole time. You see him in the dugout every game. Yeah, he's there celebrating. It's yeah, great to see him He's back. part of the team. It's just like – It I, would remind me of what happened with the Flyers in the year 2000. Eric Lindros was out during the double series and then came back for game six. They were – not doing too well, and then he just gets absolutely steamrolled by Scott Stevens at the blue line. They lose that game. They lose game seven. That was probably the most talented Flyers team 
since they won the Stanley Cup, and they most likely win the Stanley Cup. Oh, that that's year when if, his brains got full on scrambled. Yeah, when I mean, I can just picture the hit. I remember watching I mean, the game. As I a know young the, child. I know the exact hit you're talking about. And he's just like laying there, and you're like, "Wow, that just happened." Well, like, and Scott Stevens is a human sledgehammer. Yeah, you don't skate with your head down, crossing the blue line with that guy on the back end. And unfortunately, Eric did. He is probably one of the greatest like what if players. Yeah. In the history of sports because was, of his injury history. And he was so good when he did play. And then... He could do everything. He could yeah. run right through. He could score. He could dish the puck. He could drop the gloves if he had to. He was... And he was a quick skater. To, not, not quick like a burner like Connor McDavid. Nobody is, but, but quick he was for, quick uh, enough for his uh, size. He's, he was huge, yeah. So for his size, is very much a quick guy. Um, September 20th... Well, I'm, I'd be interested to do a little hockey thing, but I think that you'd be running that show. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> we can talk hockey whenever we I want. I can talk the Sabres pretty well at this point, but a lot, a lot of league I'm just out of touch with. Um, I mean, the I Flyers... I it, but... The Flyers are in a rebuild, which has been a long time coming. Full-on rebuild, yeah. It, it's been needed. They were trying to just fix it when it just wasn't able to be fixed and kept putting band-aids on a sinking ship. Yeah. And we all know how that goes. Eventually the band-aid is going to just keep ripping off and sure. the sink will, the ship will sink. Well, it's, so, being, it's being led by a guy that I'm personally a very big fan of. Love Danny Breer. Um, I've always been a big fan of him. So he um, seems like he's, see. he's very um, knowledgeable on the GM side so far. I, yeah, I heard an interview with him on, well, is he, he's telling you, is he the president of hockey operate of hockey or something for them and the gm is somebody else so danny Breer is the gm keith he's jones, the GM. Keith is, jones the is the president of hockey okay, operations yeah. i knew it was some combo keith jones is a former flyer as well isn't he he is yes he played for the flyers the capitals and the colorado avalanche interesting okay but Breer is a guy that so i heard an interview with him on wip and he was just very real with the way he was talking and, and acknowledging that they're in a tough spot and it's going to take some work and but he's committed to trying to ter- do what he needs to do to turn it around. I think that because he's a former flyer, borderline, I don't know, do you guys consider him a flyer's great at this point? Or he was just a really good flyer for you guys? I feel like he was a very good flyer. Yeah. I don't think his career was here long enough no, to that's be considered fair. a great. I think he's a great player. He was. Obviously came from your team, Buffalo Sabres. Oh, yeah. That signed with the Flyers. Such, so many good years with those And guys. I want to say like the 07, 08 offseason, something like that. Uh, 06, maybe. I think it was 05, 06. Um, it's just kind of where my mind goes with that. I thought it was after like the Flyers had a really bad year. It was like a year or two later. Maybe I'm wrong, but. So, I mean, I can find it here. So, uh, 06, 07. So, it was July of 07. He signed an eight-year, $52 million contract. Um, with the Flyers, who were the worst team in the NHL at the time. Okay, so it no was that year clause. after they had the bad year. They bring him in. He had a great run as a Flyer. I just don't think he's a Flyer great, but I am very excited to what to see he can do as the GM of the team. He was a very highly touted um, assistant GM, like up-and-coming GM yeah. type that yeah. other teams wanted to interview to be the GM, but the Flyers denied that request because... The writing was on the wall for Chuck Fletcher to be let go, yeah. and eventually it happened last season, and Danny was named interim GM at first, and then the interim tag was eventually removed over the summer, and now he's running the show. I love what he did trading Ivan Provorov, got back a first-round pick, and then future picks, too, by taking on Cal Peterson, a borderline NHL goalie at this point, but yeah. because he had such a big cap hit, it got the Flyers back more assets. 
And since they know they're not in a position to compete right now, you do those type of trades to you want gather. the assets. That's what you yeah. want. You want more picks to have more lottery tickets and hope one of them lands out and turns out to be great. But going back to Danny Breer real quick, actually, this um, what I'm reading here actually really fits what I was going to say about him is he was always seemed to be a team first guy. Um, he was the kind of guy that realized the team around him. He wore the the seeing the A on his jersey quite a bit over the, the course of his career. And it actually came, turns out he actually cited the, the initial thought when he became a free agent after in 07 was that he was going to go play at Montreal, which he grew up in the, in, in the province of, in the Quebec province. Um, but so he actually followed Marty Baron here to, to Philly, but also he liked the idea that he would be anonymous here in Philly, whereas in Montreal, Everyone would know who he was. Yeah, you couldn't walk around, go out to dinner. But I think part of that is you. he does. He never really seemed to want the stardom. He wanted to be a great player and pl- play on good teams and help a team win. And I think that's exactly the mindset you need for a GM. But that's well, something we can talk about more when we get into hockey. Uh, yeah, real quick. Uh, funny that you say he wanted the anon- anonymy of not being in Montreal. So I played high school golf, and my junior year, the um, we played at a private course in Malvern and we were told by our coach, we had to let this twosome go in front of us before we could take off for the day. And I noticed these two guys are all up. The one guy gets out of the cart. I'm like, Oh, that's Danny Briere. And our coach was like, all right, you guys can't say anything. Well, me being a 16 or 17 year old, like, Hey Danny, he like waved back. Next thing you know, the other guy was Claude Drew. I didn't, you know, Claude Drew wasn't really well known (laughs) just yet. Yeah. So it was them two. I said, Hey Danny, like wave to him. He waved back. Off they went, and then we followed them out. Like after they completed the first hole, man, that's cool. As like a as a young fan, that would probably would have been such a cool experience. Would have been cool to get like a picture, or autograph, or something. But I'll take the the wave back. Just, that had, works. You had the moment, and that's you know you, you take it for what it is. All right, so back to sports facts. September twenty seventh, nineteen seventy three. Uh, man, we've talked about time and time again on this podcast. Uh, Nolan Ryan struck out sixteen batters in eleven innings. To get to the record, his record, 383 in one season. So he was a member of the Angels at the time. He struck out 16 batters, including an American League record eight in a row, as well as three on nine pitches. He had an immaculate inning in the second inning, um, as he only gave up one hit for the game. And it was a one-out single by Carl Yastrzemski in the first inning. Um, Nolan Ryan then went on to strike out eight straight guys and retire the next 26 consecutive batters. Um, and at, in that, in that game actually became the third pitcher all time to throw two immaculate innings, which means you struck out three batters on nine pitches. He is one of, I want to say it's three pitchers to have done it twice. Yeah. That's what it, yeah. Um, he's the third pitcher to twice fan the side on nine pitches. Yeah. And he did it twice. Uh, it might be three oh, times it, then. Cause I think it was not the same game. He did it twice. This was one of the two times he did it. Might be three times, and I'm going to say Kershaw and Scherzer have both done it a few times, too, because this has come up on the show before. The immaculate inning. Garrett oh. Stubbs just hit a home run. How about Stubbsy after last night rocking the uh, pullover? The oh, dude, he's all about those the overalls. Overalls, that's it. Well, he, oh, yeah. It's about it's a 5-4 game. Yeah, <laughs> all right. I should have taken it over five nothing. Yeah, geez. Um, let's see. I need one more win, though. This way, Phillies cash their over for the uh Season eighty eight and a half. They're there sitting at eighty eight. I need one win over the last five games. Well, maybe tonight if they turn around, the Phillies, uh, the Pirates actually had an immaculate, immaculate inning. Um, oh, so this is interesting. So it's something that like is it's relatively rare. Um, but then like you look at 
In the 2010s, it happened 37 times. Wow, that's wild. 37. But up to the point in, by the 80s, uh, by the 70s when this happened, it had only happened 27 times total, or 19 times going into the 70s. And by the end of the 70s, it only happened eight more times. And Nolan Ryan did it at least once in that. So it doesn't happen a ton. Um, I'm trying to see if I can figure out pitchers who have done it multiple times, but I'm not going to get stat on that. Um, the most recent one was Johan Oviedo of the Pirates um, back on May 24th of 2023. It's happened twice this year, actually. Both of them were Pirates pitchers, believe it or not. Was the other one Luis Ortiz? Nope. Colin Holderman. Not Actually, this. looking at this list, it's like a bunch of names you would never know. Hayden Wesneski from the Chicago Cubs. Yeah, Wesneski. He's a younger pitcher for them. Nestor Cortez did it. Scherzer has. You mentioned Scherzer. He's done it. Okay, Scherzer's done it three times. So is Chris Sale. Maybe um, that's what I'm thinking. Kevin Gossman is, twice. Kevin Gossman has done it twice. Um, let's see. Randy Johnson had two. I mean, now you get back some of these older names. You got yeah, Nolan Ryan. Never actually ever did it twice. Uh, from what I'm seeing here. So, but kind of cool. First one ever was John Clarkson, uh, June 4th, 1889 for the, uh, for the Boston bean eaters, bean eaters, beating the Philadelphia Quakers. Then the next guy was one of our old friends from early on in the show. Rube Waddell. I'm going to say Rube. July 1st, 1902. Man, the names on this list are great. Dazzy Vance, sloppy Thurston and Rube Waddell. I'm going to put that name <laughs> at the top of the list. Sloppy. <laughs> sloppy. That's a good one. Yeah, I'm That'll sure. That'll go over well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let me know how that one goes, dude. Go home and then bring that one up. All right. What, you got one for us? Yeah. Last sports fact out. of the night. We got LA Dodger pitcher Oral Hershiser. Another great name. There was an MLB record <laughs> 59 straight scoreless innings, breaking former Dodger Don Drysdale's record of 58. So Oral's streak started on August 30th and finished on September 28th. Since this is a regular season record, it could have extended into the following year, but he gave up a home run in the first inning of his first pitching appearance in 1989. So Oral happened to throw eight more scoreless innings into that postseason in the 88 season, um, extending the streak to technically 67, but unfortunately doesn't add up to that many for in for him in the record books. And the crazy thing about this, this is such a, a cool stat, but if I remember correctly, he was a starting pitcher. So it's not like he just had like, a bunch of scoreless saves or something. Um, no, this man had 204 wins in his career, 150 losses, 2,000 strikeouts. It's actually not a Hall of Famer. I thought, for some reason in my head, I kind of would have thought he was. I would have too. Just because I feel like the amount you've heard his name, but he also has a very unique name. He's a Buffalonian. Born and raised, but well, born in Buffalo, New York, raised in Detroit, and then Canada. So that September when he did have his starts, he threw five straight nine-inning shutouts before finishing with 10 innings in a game in a um, game where the Dodgers lost 2-1 to and the Padres in 16 innings overall. So wow. five straight nine-inning shutouts. I don't know if anyone <laughs> has five complete games this year. No, that's great. Wait, that's nuts. I don't know if there's been five complete games in baseball this season. No, dude, that's that, sarcasm. Those are, those are video game numbers, though. Five complete. Yeah, that's nuts. Unreal. Five straight nine inning shutouts. Shout out Oral Hershiser. Great uh great name, even better pitcher. Yeah, and I, I always feel like he provides great insight whenever he's um you know Good commentator, on, yeah. on a game. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Great commentator. Um I feel like he's one of those guys I feel like I just knew the name so well. I remember having a lot of his cards for some reason. I had a crazy baseball card collection as a kid. A lot of Oral Hershiser's on that list, but 
So a lot of a lot of fun facts, and again, just scratching the surface. There's a lot of if you're interested in learning more about some of the fun sports stories, we have some great resources to check out. I'm not actually going to tell you though, or else there's no point in you listening to my podcast anymore. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, I give away all the goods. Yeah, you got to come back and listen to Tom and I every week to learn anything, and hopefully you learn something. Yeah, as long as you're learning at least one thing, or you just find us funny, or you just listen because you're nice. Whatever, we'll take it. <laughs> yeah, that's that's talking to you mom thanks for listening Appreciate uh, <laughs> um, but yeah so obviously you know spent a lot of time here talking um talking about basketball early on a little bit of phillies but largely just getting into the playoffs and a whole lot of sports history but tom obviously there was some really we don't got to cover all the football because there was some real snoozers this week but man there was probably the most ridiculous score i've ever seen in my life and by might to be 20 it is a madden level score yeah it's something you do to your friend when you're oh, like yeah. playing at 2 a.m on a friday night and oh, one yeah. person can't see the screen correctly yeah my brother and i have had some knockout uh some slobber knockers like this over the years but you never see it happen in real life it's actually it's wild because i haven't watched any of the highlights or anything so i'm really not super caught up on how it happened but both running back didn't Mostert and uh, it's actually achan he actually um just announced today that they were saying it wrong um, both had four touchdowns each, I believe, right? Yeah, they both just went off. So eight touchdowns between two running backs. Which is nuts. And I think a lot of that, I'm going to give credit to Mike McDaniel. First of all, I think he's just a super entertaining, entertaining guy. Would not mind having him as a coach. Yeah, um, you see those clips of like him on the sidelines, like yeah. talking to those players, like, yeah, like walking up and down the sideline. They're great. Running his mouth to Tua through the headset mid-game. Talking about how Georgia is the, uh, the best college football program and stuff. and seems like he keeps it light, which is, as a player, you want. And, and then, he's, the creativity of what he's instilling in that offense, but also the team they're building there. It's the fast, it might be the fastest team the NFL has ever seen. So I got something for you on that one, Brian. So Field Yates, Field Yates follow him on Twitter, at Field Yates, put this one out the other day. The fastest ball carriers in a game this season via next-gen stats. So Tyreek Hill, no surprise here, week three. 22.07 miles per hour. Devon. Wait, 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 wait. What was that? 22.07. I, okay, I heard 27.02. I said, no way. That's nah, not, not that fast. Not Tw- possible. 22. Okay. He's not Michael Scott running past the, the speedometer <laughs> getting 35 30, miles an 31, hour. 31. 31. You saw that. <laughs> not Michael Scott. No one is. But then Devon Achain, is that how he's saying it? Uh, it's uh, I think he said it's Ah-Chan now. It's Ah-Chan is the right way to say it, but Ah-Chan is the way that people have been saying it. Okay, so also my apologies to you, Devon. That's all right. Everyone's been saying it wrong. Week three, 21.93 miles an hour. Tyreek Hill, week one, 21.66. Raheem Mozart, week two, 21.62. Tyreek Hill, 21.52 in week one. And then Devon in week three as well, 21.5. So let's just, I say we put them in the Olympics next year and let's see what happens. Yeah, they're faster than some sprinters. I mean, Tyree Hill, I think it was like last last offseason or something, competed in a track meet. Yeah, like trying to qualify and for something. blew everyone away. He was 40 meters, not really 40 meters, only 100 meters to run, but he was a solid 10 to 15 meters ahead of the next guy. Uh, that was pretty entertaining. They're, what they're doing on there is going to be, it's very fun to watch. And I hate to say it, it gets a kind of, a, in my opinion, it's a likable crew, which has, you know, an AFC East rival to my Bills. I feel like I shouldn't say that, but I like Tua seems like a super likable guy. McDaniel seems really likable. Tyreek's kind of a prick, but overall, yeah, he like, doesn't seem like the best person. But you have a great matchup this week with your yes, Buffalo Bills. They're coming into Buffalo. Um, I think it's going to be a very interesting matchup. For the past few years, it seems to be Buffalo beats in Buffalo, Miami wins in Miami. Um, I think that. So I think one thing for you guys, though, I think it benefits having the game in Buffalo this time of year. This way, 
as we all know in Miami, it's pretty warm and hot and humid down there. Yeah. Not well, having let, to play in the hot and humidity. That was a big conversation last year when the Bills played down there where there was a big way. Part of the way that the Hard Rock Stadium is constructed is that the home sideline stays in the shade. And then the other side's all in So sun. there was pictures from within the Bills game last year where it was like 85 degrees on their sideline and over 120 degrees on the Bills. Um, and there was a lot of Bills fans that were whining about that. But, hey, that's part of home field advantage. I'm like, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, you set your stadium up to benefit you. Yeah. That's why it's your home turf. Um, but I also think at times, though, snow games benefit running games. And if that's really what's – I mean, obviously Tyreek Hill and Tua are really in sync. And McDaniel has come up with an offense that allows Tua to get rid of the ball very quickly. Um, I think, though, the, the Bills defense looks very good. Um the Redskins came in 2-0. Oh, sorry, the Washington football team or commanders. Commanders. Whatever. Washington, their crappy franchise, um, came into this 2-0. and Sam Howell I never expected much of, but I at least thought with the way they played the past couple weeks, it would be a more competitive fight, game. And they got mollywalked. And it wasn't even – the Bills offense didn't really do a whole lot. The defense was unbelievable. Well, Sam Howell, he's on pace to break like – Single season sack records taken as a quarterback. Well, yeah, he got sacked nine times in week three. <laughs> week three. Yeah, and it's not just like week three. It's been week no, one and he's two been as hit. well. He's been getting hit a lot. Um, not something you want to see out of your potential like next franchise quarterback. Either. Uh, yeah, he's not the franchise quarterback. I don't think um, so, but that, you know that's you what know, Washington drafted shot. him to potentially be, right? Yeah, but they just couldn't do anything, and uh, the Bills' defense looked very good. I think it's going to match up decently with Miami. Nobody has the speed that Miami has. Um, but the big conversation in Buffalo was middle linebacker on defense. Uh, Tremaine Edmonds signed a huge contract with Chicago, which you all see how that's working out with their 0-3 start, and they are getting just gashed every all left, right, sideways. As good as I'm looking for the Dolphins to win the AFC East, I'm looking just as bad with the NFC North and picking the Bears. Yeah, they look horrendous. But I'm with you. I thought they were going to be better than this. Um, I thought the Packers were going to be the bottom dweller, but they're looking better than expected. Not great, but better. Um, the Bills' defense looks, ama- looks amazing. Uh, the pass rush is getting home, and that's without Von Miller even involved yet. Leonard Floyd has been phenomenal off the edge, as well as the young guys in Epinesa and Russo. The big game changer right now that's been very surprising was uh, is Terrell Bernard. He was a third-round pick out of Baylor last year. Um, missed all of training camp, so people didn't think he would get the starting job. He won the starting job. Decent first game, great second game, and then week three just went nuts. He's one of two players to ever have two sacks, an interception, and a fumble recovery in a game. The other one is Brian Erlacher back in 07. Well, that's a good person to be compared to. In that game, he matched Tremaine Edmonds' career um, stats outside of tackles all in one game. In 45 games in Buffalo, Tremaine Edmonds had two sacks and one pick. In three and a half quarters, Terrell Bernard did all that. Tremaine Edmonds, good guy, good player. But I'm, I, you know, I think we've all been a bit surprised at what's happening here. It's like having a second Matt Milano on the field, and hopefully he can maintain that because if we get a two of them going sideline to sideline, it's going to be a fascinating year for this team. So I'm looking to see forward to see what happens against Miami. Um, the Eagles pulled out a good one. That defense also looks very good. Um, only gave up 11 points because of a garbage time touchdown. Or you know, game was well over at that point. They had they had that game in the bag. They gave up a touchdown. Not a big deal. Um, the Eagles look very good. The Niners, obviously, I think, are the number one team in the league right now. Um, Miami being a close second. I think of the top three of Miami, New England, and San Francisco. Or not New England. Miami, Philadelphia, and San Francisco. I think the Eagles are the third best team in that group of the three and O's. 
and that's no hate to the Eagles. I just think that the Miami offense is so potent, and the Niners might be the best all-around team in the NFL right now. So let's touch on the Eagles first. Uh, Monday night against the Bucks, twenty-five to eleven win. Like you mentioned, just to kind of what a co- random score too. It was a scoregami. I, I had a feeling. Yeah. So that means that score has never happened in NFL history before, where the away team wins twenty-five to eleven. Um, the Eagles gave up one hundred and eighty-seven yards in total to the Buccaneers. One hundred forty-six passing yards to Baker Mayfield, and then they couldn't run the ball to save their lives. No, Rashad uh, White had fourteen carries for thirty-eight yards. Baker Mayfield had one attempt for two yards, and then Sean Tucker, rookie running back out of Syracuse, he had two carries for one yard. So, not ideal if you're a running back on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Jalen Carter is looking like a man amongst boys. Which is tough to do when you're a rookie in the NFL. But yeah, he is. Uh, you you notice him out on the field. And Jordan Davis is playing very well. They're too. A, they're a perfect one two punch because Jalen Carter is showing he's a penetrating pass rushing um, lineman. He gets downhill. He gets through. He gets through his gaps. He whereas Jordan Davis kind of sucks up that second blocker. So like you got to as an opponent opposing line opposing coach. You got to make a decision on which one of those guys you're double teaming. You leave Jordan Davis open, he's powering, overpowering you, or leave him in single, single uh, protection. And then if you start double teaming, like that leaves Fletcher Cox open, and then the guys on the outside, like Josh Sweat. Oh, yeah. Hassan Reddick, Brandon Graham, yeah, Noah Williams. Like, there was a few plays where you just noticed we saw Jalen Carter just game or being a game wrecker where they couldn't even get the playoff because he was in the backfield already. And I just think that's terrifying. For the fact that he's a rookie. So he has 15 pressures through three weeks. That is one behind the NFL lead for a defensive tackle. Javon Hargrave has 16. So Carter also has one forced fumble and one and a half sacks in three games. Well, that was in the game on Monday night. He forced a fumble that got recovered by the Falcons. And then on the very next play, not the Falcons, the Buccaneers. Yeah, the Bucs. very next play forced the fumble, forced fumble again this time that the Eagles picked up. So he forced fumbles on back-to-back plays, and uh, I think people that was overshadowed because they didn't ca- they didn't recover it the first time, but he was the guy that knocked it out both times, and I just think he's a pretty terrifying man in the middle. I mean, the fact that the Eagles got him at nine overall is probably going to be the steal of the draft. Obviously, the game is built around quarterbacks, but when you can get a game breaker like a Jalen Carter. And for him to fall to number nine, yes, the off-the-field issues are a concern. And I've touched on this before. I don't think he could have went to a better locker room presence with the veterans on the team because they will keep him yeah. in check. They will guide him along. They will mentor him He could be and a, set him up for a very successful career. He could be the steal of a generation, to be honest. Like Because if he – the way that uh, – there's two teams that I pretty consi- that I consistently watch. One is Buffalo. One is Philly, obviously. You know, that's my team's one and one and two. Jalen Carter is so you, you like you like I talk about Bryce Harper being must watch baseball when he's at the plate. I'm looking for 98 out on the field right, right now for the Eagles because I just you don't know what he's going to do. And he's only playing like half the snaps in a game right now too. I think yeah, the Bucks had like 41 nuts. snaps and Carter played like 20. So it's not like he's playing full games either, and he can probably build up into that type of workload as the season goes on. Dude, he smoked he smoked one of their guys on. Uh, I want to say it might have been. One of the running backs. When he for- forced the fumble the second time, he absolutely smoked this poor guy. Uh, one of the harder hits I've seen in a while. And it's just like, this dude is a monster through the middle. 
The fact that he like makes Jordan Davis look n- not noticeable. Not saying that Jordan Davis is as dominating of a presence on the field, but physically is. He means six six three sixty or whatever he is. Yeah, Jordan Davis is a freak. But yeah, the there's the top tier of the the league is still looking good. The Chiefs look good. Yeah, the, the Niners look good. The Niners look phenomenal. They went out and won a pretty easily Thursday night game. Against the Cowboys the have been exposed. See, that was so. I was going to touch on that, as in like the upset of the week was the Arizona Cardinals losing to the or beating the Dallas Cowboys. Excuse exposed. me, twenty eight to sixteen in Arizona. So I don't know what that means for Dallas. I don't know if they just slept on the Cardinals, thinking they could walk in there, get an easy win, and look ahead to Week Four. I don't know if it's a sign of things to come. I hope it is. We'll see if the loss of Trayvon Diggs is a bigger factor. I mean, it has to be. Stephon Gilmore five years ago would have been a great number one, but he's not really that type of player anymore. He's a great number two. So we'll see as he has to be elevated to that number one role, how that works out for him in that Cowboys defense. Um, Gilmore was never a speed guy. He was very much a technique, beat you with positioning, um, beat you with smarts kind of guy. And that was when he was young and fully athletic. I mean, very athletic. Don't get me wrong. But, like, he was never really, like, the burner. Yeah, you got to watch him firsthand as a yeah, Bills fan. So now that you see him in his older, you know, as he's getting older, that's really not there. So he has to rely more on positioning and instinct and stuff. And that's fine. But at some point, especially as a DB, like, you're going to start slowing down. Um, phenomenal player. He's very likely going to be a Hall of Famer when all is said and done. Um, just for what he's done in the league. All right, you know, maybe I'm wrong on that, but I think there's a very good chance of it because he's, pro- he's been the premier corner in the league for quite a while now. Yeah, kind of. Or had w- been. Would you say he's been, like, the next guy after, like, the Darrell Revis, Richard yeah, Sherman Yeah, I think after the, those guys, he was, like, the lockdown guy. For a while there, it seemed like Marshall Mattimore might make his way to that conversation or even Jalen Ramsey or Marcus Peters, but none of those guys. Again, young, significantly younger than Gilmore. Gilmore has been here a lot longer. But I can't think of any other cornerback who, I mean, P- Patrick Peterson maybe. That was the one I was just going to say, Patrick jo- Peterson. Joe Hayden would have been in that mix, but he kind of fell off very quickly. Um, Darius Slay is playing very well. I don't know if he's like a Hall of Fame type player, yeah, but he's Slay. had a pretty good I career. Dude, I don't even know if Gilmore's a Hall of Famer, but like he's got the, the Super Bowls, Super Bowl at least. He's got at least one with New England. So that obviously adds to the resume. And just being as locked on as he was for so long, whether or not he's a Hall of Famer, I don't really care. Like, again, he left Buffalo on bad terms, but whatever. Um, Dallas, I think, got a bit exposed. I think that Arizona came to play. They also helped have a coach who has spent the past few years preparing for Dallas twice a, twice a game or twice a year. Um, I don't love Jonathan Gannon, but, like, the man has beaten Dallas a number of times now. One of my favorite drops on WIP is apparently Jonathan Gannon. And he's like, pew, 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 pew. <laughs> I don't know what it's from, but that's like, it's Jonathan Gannon. I didn't realize Gannon. that was him. So that's his, the drop that they play on the radio. That's that's Jonathan Gannon. And he's like, what's up, Bird Gang? Like, stay in Arizona. We don't care. Like, good riddance. Glad oh, you're there. Oh, no, because he referred to Cardinals fans as Bird Gang when yeah. he started there. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. What a clown. Oh, well. But um, so the one, Brian, you asked me at the end of the episode, bold prediction for week three i don't know if it was that much of a bold prediction but i did say the chargers would go into minnesota and defeat them did happen to work out they won 20 to 24 but from what i read because i did not watch the game neither team really deserved to win a lot of bad coaching a lot of bad decision making out there but the chargers somehow snuck it out justin herbert had a great game um unfortunately they lost mike williams to the 
Twin yeah. ACL injury and out for the is, season. My fantasy teams are not loving that. So we'll see what happens with Herbert moving forward, but it seems like they have some capable next guys up in Joshua Palmer, who's been around the team for a couple years now, and then Quentin Johnson, their Quentin first Johnson. round pick this year. I think Brandon Staley is not as good of a coach as they all hoped uh, because they have blown so many games that they should have won. Uh, Minnesota is being exposed for exactly what they are. The only major change from this team from last year, two changes are Adam Thielen and Dalvin Cook being gone. And Dalvin Cook looks horrible in New York. I don't yeah. know if that's a that's, I mean, everyone looks, everyone's looks horrible in New York Zach right Wilson now. manning the helm, but he just looks like, not even, obviously everyone looks horrible, but he just looks like slow. And like yeah. he lost that burst. Which he pro- honestly probably did. And now seeing him play, I know there's conversation about him potentially coming to play here in Buffalo to play with his brother and James Cook, who has looked awesome the past two weeks. Yeah, just keep James Cook. But He's honestly, on my fantasy we brought in Lata- keep riding him. We brought in Latavius Murray as like a change of pace back. Let me tell you, the dude has been awesome he's serviceable dude he's like when he gets the ball he's picking up five or six, he's putting his head down he's picking up five or six yards at a time and he's running hard he's a good goal line guy and i thought damian harris was going to get that role after coming up from new england but it's definitely been murray and he's been a very i don't this i don't dislike seeing the ball in his hands i would like to see james cook in those goal line carries no, on my fantasy no. team i me too and just for the sake of getting him moving more but um you know there's definitely we're looking at a really exciting season still. Uh, the Bengals finally got their first win. Um, again, I think the Vikings are being exposed, but I think it could be dangerous because if the Vikings are bad enough that they fall into top QB prospect range. If I'm the Jets, I'm going out and acquiring Kirk Cousins. If I'm the Jets, I'm tanking, full-on tanking. And trying yeah, to or bring you can try like and a, go get Caleb Williams. I would say bring in a Caleb Williams or something. But I mean, there's talk. I watched a video the other day of like people talking about him. They're saying he's like Hall of Fame like level special because of like what he's doing yeah. at USC. But and also like they're, they're like, projecting dude, for him. USC, like I couldn't name one truly successful USC quarterback. The one that I can think of is Carson Palmer. And then it goes back to like Matt Leiner, Mark Sanchez. Yeah, exactly. The Sanchez. He was really good. <laughs> he had that butt fumble. Yeah. Um, and like uh, Matt Barkley was a big name for them at one point. Uh, he never panned out to be anything. No, dude. It's just like, I don't know. Uh, Todd Marinovich, if you want to go real far back with uh, with all of that, that's a story in itself. Are you familiar with the Todd Marinovich? I am not. All right. Well, go look it up. I don't know if we have enough time no, left we, in no, tonight's episode to no, dive into that one. He was like the one that early on like had a dad who was like pushing him to be an athlete. And then his life went off the rails. It, it's an unfortunate story, uh, but USC has a bad track record, so we'll see what happens there. Any other big uh, football stories you want to touch on this week? I don't think there's any else that really blew me away. The three biggest wins of the week seem to come from Miami. Oh, Miami was a fun one thing I wanted to bring up is um, Mike McDaniel, born and raised in Denver, was a Denver was a Broncos ball boy. At one point, he worked for the Broncos and their coaching staff. Twenty twenty two, they didn't even. Did not even interview him for the job. Well, that looks like a mistake, and they went with Nathaniel Hackett. Yeah, and then um, and then now Sean Payton and things just do not look good in Denver. No, what's going on there is that they the Dolphins actually had a chance to kick a field goal, which would have given them the most points in a single game in NFL history. And people are speculating that Mike McDaniel chose not to run the score up. Not run the score up. It was 70 to 20 at the point. I mean, uh, they but not run it up because of his respect for the franchise as a whole because they were like his his team and stuff growing up. And, you know, shout out to him. But, like, I think I spitefully would have just would have done it. I would have just went for seven. But, hey, whatever. <laughs> they, they did that ten times, I think. Yeah, they, they got plenty of scores. I think uh, one field goal wouldn't hurt. But, you know, I mean, 
looking back to week three, I guess the only other big upset would have been Houston Texans going down to Jacksonville oh, and beating be- up on the Jaguars. Beat up. 37 points, right? 37 to 17 final score. Yeah, beat up. CJ Stroud is looking pretty good down there in Houston. Yeah, dude. This QB class, I think he's the one who... I think he has the most potential as just like a pure pocket passer got passer kind of quarterback. Yeah, and Bryce Young got hurt, so we don't know too much about yeah, him. Yeah, well, Andy Dalton came four. around and lit it up with Adam Thielen, so I'll be curious to see what happens there. Um, Anthony Richardson, obviously, in concussion protocol. I, I think he, he should be out this week. Yeah, this week. So Same with Bryce been, Young. He's been looking pretty good so far this season, so I'll be curious to see what happens. The rookie crop is looking interesting. Um, obviously, we're not. I don't think we see any Will Levis this year unless Tannehill goes down. Um, Tennessee looks like crap. Yeah, I say they're zero and three, right? Are they one and two? I don't know either. They're way. one and two. I think they it's kind of to be anticipated. They play the Bengals this week, so you might chalk them up to be one and three. And at some point, like you might as well just put Levis in there, see what you got. Yeah, I think we've seen the best of Derrick Henry at this point. I'm not sure that we see another huge year from him again. Same with DeAndre Hopkins. Like, it's, yeah, dude, they're, kinda, have so they're many. washed, and you got Tannehill as your quarterback. Like that team's. That team's going to win a few games because they're a Mike Vrabel coach team and because they play hard, and they do have good pieces on defense. And not that they don't have decent pieces on offense, but there's nobody on that offense that, like, scares me as a as a fan. Or if I am if I was coaching and, and trying to game plan, like, I, like, even Derrick Henry doesn't really bother, like, worry me anymore. Because I feel like last year he had a good year, he, but he can't stay healthy. And No, and his backup, Tajay Spears, he's been getting more snaps on a per-game basis so far. Yeah, so it'll be... Interesting to see how that plays out. They're just they're not they're not good. All and right, it is quick, what it is. quick look ahead to week four, Brian. What are your thoughts on the games over in London or Europe, wherever they are played? Because they last year they did a game in Germany. What do you mean? Like, how do I feel about them doing that? Yeah, because there's still talks about like a potential franchise being moved to. I think a franchise over there is stupid. I don't like that idea. I think it. It doesn't need to happen. It just doesn't. There's there's a reason that there are no cross continental, um, leagues like that. There's a very much reason. Logistically, it makes no sense. Being a fan for that team is going to be absurdly expensive because they're going to have to fly over the, overseas for half their games. I mean, put a team in Canada first. Yeah, team yeah. in Canada for no. every other sport but football. Yeah, put the team put a team in Canada. Like the Toronto, the CFL does very well. I think it's fun. I think it's a great way to expand the game globally. But like these are countries that like they already have very proud sporting traditions and other things. Football might take on a little bit from a fan standpoint, but yeah, like golf and football, AKA soccer here, football yeah. there, both very big already in Europe. Yeah. I don't know. And if then they, from a physical, physical standpoint, rugby is huge over there. Rugby, rugby is massive over there. Um, so you get, you kind of get the similar game to football where, um, you get a lot of the physicality of it and the back and forth, the scoring, all that. So I think it's a good idea. I hate, I hate as a fan when my team gets picked to play there as one of our home games. Yeah, because that stinks. I don't mind it as an away game because whatever, but like there is definitely a distinct home field advantage in the NFL for a lot of stadiums. Not if you're Washington or LA or Tampa. Here or St. But in Buffalo Buffalo or Philly or uh, Kansas City. Kansas City. um, Seattle. I feel like Green Bay has a great home field. Yeah, Green Bay. Like a lot of those teams are places where there's a real dedicated fan base. I don't think it's fair to take away home games from them. That's why you see teams like the Jaguars or the Texans or the Falcons going flying over there. I feel like that's always the rumor team to go over potentially and relocate are those Jaguars. Yeah. They're a little more relevant these past couple years with Trevor Lawrence, Doug Peterson now manning the helm and turning them into a more sustainable and a good product. But before those past couple years where after the Blake Bortles years, because they had that great defense, they were relevant. Yeah. It was some – 
not so great times to be a Jaguars fan. And I think that's why you heard those constant conversations like, Oh, the Jaguars might get relocated to London. Well, that, and it's a minor, it's a minor league city overall. Like they don't have any other pro sports. They got a triple A team, the Jacksonville jumbo shrimp, I believe it is in baseball. But otherwise, I mean, it's a minor league city. So like the fact that they've been able to hold on to an NFL franchise this long is pretty impressive because at least the other ones, you know, some people might throw Buffalo on that list, but they got the Sabres at least. Green Bay, you get the history there, and there's such a dedicated fan base both within Green, the, within Wisconsin and outside of Wisconsin. But then otherwise, it's all really it's major cities. I mean, I can't think of any other teams that are small. Baltimore's a rel- I guess a smaller market in the grand scheme of things. Um, yeah, I mean, they're yeah. right outside D.C. Though I feel like they have a big following, and then like Central PA, Central PA, yeah, South South Central PA, York, York Lancaster. You see a lot of Ravens fans as well. Um, but I don't know. I, I think if there is a team that were to move, Jacksonville kind of makes the most sense. Um, just be from a from just a demographic standpoint. Or Tam- honestly, or Tampa. Like Tampa Bay, you could ship over. Florida doesn't need three teams. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it would have to be Jacksonville before Tampa because Tampa has the Lightning, the Rays, so I don't think they're going Tampa anywhere. Tampa definitely is, yeah, is better, but I feel like of the two. But you see... I mean, you well, see the turnout for the Tampa Bay Rays. Like, nobody really shows up to yeah. the game. So, maybe it's like an oversaturated well, market. Same, same with the Bucks. You had a Monday night football game in, in your home stadium, and it was easily half Philly fans. I mean, it makes sense, though. It's a great destination trip for Philly fans to get down to. Go to Tampa. You can fly down there pretty cheap from here. Yeah. Hop on, like, a Southwest flight. Spend, like, 100 bucks, Get down there. Come back, like, two days later. Nice three-day weekend or something. Well, I'm going to take some time... Uh, before our next episode to think about what NFL team would make sense to relocate because the Jaguars do make a lot of sense, but I feel so I feel for them so much because at one point there was a lot of speculation that the bills were going to get trying to move to Toronto. Um, back when they were up for sale about 2010, 2011 when Ralph Wilson passed away and the Pagulas ended up winning the bid. It was them versus Bon Jovi, uh, ownership group led by Bon Jovi and an ownership group led by Donald Trump. Well, he wanted to move a team originally. Yeah, right. Trump and Bon Jovi. Like the '80s, Trump was trying to. Yeah, get a well, team. the USFL. He's been he's been trying to do. He was trying to do stuff back then, um, but him and the the Bon Jovi enterprise um, wanted to move up to Toronto, and I remember like how devastating even the idea felt as a fan. Like Philly gets it. I don't think a lot of cities understand the way that a, fo- a football team runs in your blood, the way it does in Buffalo or Green Bay, or even, honestly, yeah, down here in Philly. Like, the Eagles, everyone in this area bleeds Kelly Green. Yeah, it's kind of, I mean, it's a little over the top sometimes, honestly, in my opinion. Excessive. Like, oh, very much so. Bills fans are the same way. Like, I want to listen to baseball talk on sports radio, and all I hear is Eagles sometimes. Like, I wish they would talk hockey. Dude, they do Eagles chance at Phillies games. I can't stand that when that happens. Like, the Phillies are in, like, a tight game. Next thing you know, Eagles champ break out. It's like, what are we doing here? Are we not paying attention to the fact that the Phillies are in a one-run game in the eighth inning and we want to do an Eagles chant? Nothing, like, boils my blood more when that happens. Classless. I can't stand it. Throwing snowballs at Santa Claus. Yeah, well, that's what happens when you're in Philly. (laughs) But to tie it back in here to week four, got a fantasy football player for all of you listening. If I sit here and say Justin Jefferson or Tyreek Hill, you're going to be like, okay, great. Thanks for the the helpful tip. Great insight, Tom. Yeah. I mean, of course, anybody can name them. Now, this is a player who has become a little more prominent the past few weeks. It is is his second year in the season, in the uh, NFL, I should say. So I'm going to go with Chris Olave of the New Orleans Saints. 
So he's yet to score a touchdown this season, but that doesn't scare me away from him playing him this week. He saw 10 targets in week one, 11 targets in weeks two and three, all while averaging 100 yards a game. Well, now Jameis Winston's slinging the ball for them, and you know he likes to let it rip. So so that's that brings me to the following point here, that, and that was with Derek Carr at QB. Not saying Derek Carr is bad, but one could argue that, that Carr being out this week benefits Olave more because Jameis Winston will be suiting up at QB. And Jameis, there's one thing Jameis Winston loves to do. It's slang that thing. And he likes throwing a deep ball. And He sure does. Olave seemed to play better with Jameis last year. He averaged right on target with what he's done so far this year. That's 10 targets a game. So no drop-off should really occur without Carr behind the behind center. And he averages about 13% more fantasy points no, he on is. a curb per-game basis with Jameis. 13 more? 13% more. Oh, oh okay. Yeah, so nothing saying, crazy, wow. but like I mean, still that's significant. An but I think you know he is the deep threat on that team. You know, he's supposed to, he should be. Michael Thomas is not. I don't even know who their next receiver would be beyond him. Rashid Shahid. Exactly. And then Alvin Kamara's back this week, but I don't think that really matters. Olave should still see a bunch of targets. Yeah. They are facing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but A.J. Brown just went off for like nine catches, 130 yards. Yeah, so with, I have four, faith. with four drops. And I so I have faith in Olave this week as my quote-unquote play of the week. Well, we will see what happens. Uh, we'll, catch, we'll catch up next week and see how that prediction panned out. In my personal opinion, I hope it goes well because I could use him on my one team that's really struggling. Uh, made some poor choices, then draft running backs till later than anticipated. They're averaging about four points per game combined. A.J. Dillon and Brees Hall stepping up. Um, it's only a matter of time for Brees Hall. His uptick keeps coming up. He's getting better and better from the yeah, we'll ACL see. injury. From he's he's questionable again, but that's another story for another day. We'll see next week when we come back. If he's he questionable this every weekend. week because they just rest him during the middle of the week for rest purposes. Don't worry. He's That's fine. fair. But as usual, guys, we appreciate you checking us out again this week. Follow us on uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at Going Back Pod. Um, you know, we don't share as much these days, but, you know, you'll, you'll find out when the episodes drop. We're aiming for every Friday morning at this point. I just give myself some time to edit these things. I'm no professional in the editing space, even though on the microphone I got a voice like Barry White. Um, the editing is just not there. It takes a minute. So for every Friday morning, check us out. We will be available. Hit us up again, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You'll get in touch with Tom or myself or just text us. Cause odds are y'all have our number. Yeah. All of you listeners out there. <laughs> thank you for checking in each and every week. We really do appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Tom, you got anything for us before we head out here this week? Yeah. I got another movie quote. Um, see if you can name this one. Tell me off the air, Brian, that rug really tied the room together. Well, first of all, hold on. I know exactly what this quote is from, but you didn't tell us what last week's quote was from. Last week was a um, saying my high school baseball coach told me. So he told me, I was arriving to practice same time as him, five minutes before it started. He said, Tom, if you are five minutes early, you are 10 minutes late. So that gets you into the mindset of being 15 minutes early instead of five minutes early. That's a Tom Coughlin quote. If you didn't know that, Tom Coughlin, New York Giants legend, head coach. My baseball coach told it to me in high school, so well, that's no, where it stemmed from. Nobody out there was going to guess that, and I don't know if it was a guess it, but if yeah, it, it was... It wasn't. My guess was not the Marvel High School baseball coach. <laughs> He's a very famous guy. Just kidding, but not really. He, uh, he isn't, so let's wrap it up here, Brian. Right, so what was, the, uh, what was your line again? Uh, that rug really tied the room together. Hey, man. All right. <laughs> Once again, thank you guys for checking us out at Going Back Pod. We will see you next week. Peace. <laughs>